your housemates, perhaps with your Bible study group, perhaps with your family, to trace the theme as God, of God as shepherd through the Bible, to trace it, and to see how God called himself a shepherd of his people long before Ezekiel 34. In fact, what you'll discover... A beautiful sheep, Roseanne. Roseanne was my... I'm going to cry. No, I went. Was my pet sheep. I raised Roseanne with a bottle. I raised her. I would go to work. I'd go to school and work. I'd go to school in the morning. Before I'd go, I'd feed her with a bottle. I'd put other bottles out there, and I'd ask someone else to come during the day whilst I'm at school. After school, our school ended at 1.30 in the afternoon. I'd be on my bicycle, cycle as fast as I could. I wouldn't have lunch because I need to be at home. So I'm in time there to feed Rosanna. I take that bottle out. She just goes for it. I mean, she's sucking the bottle. You know, you have really, you need really big bottles, actually, to look after this. And she just sucked it all out. And, uh, and this sheep just loved me. Well, as time went on, this routine established itself. Uh, and, uh, and then after I fed Roseanne, I'd have to go to the corner shop to go and buy my own lunch. My mum was a teacher. She would often only come home at 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. So I go and fend for myself. So off I go. And a number of times I arrived at the corner shop to find that Roseanne had followed me there. Yes. Roseanne had followed me there. And the way you can tell that she's followed me from the house all the way into it, because wherever she goes, she drops tiny pellets that just um, is dropped all the way into the shopkeeper's shop, all the way around the, the, the racks and all the way out. We had Roseanne, and I was her shepherd, and she became huge. She became quite big. In fact, I didn't have to feed her anymore. We had a little bit of land outside. It's South Africa, a little bit of land outside, and she would graze there. And one day I came home from school, and I started paying less and less attention to her because she's now grown. She doesn't need me anymore, and she was gone. She was gone. She was apparently taken to a farm where she would have more space and more food, which was great, uh, and Sundays would always be a huge celebration because we would often have gifts from this farm that will end up on our table, you know, fresh produce and things like that. And often I would see a name tag on whatever we're enjoying. Oh, these are the pears that come from the neighbor with this name, and these are some maize that came from the farm named this, and this is some mutton that's come from this farmer. And I would normally not pay much attention to it, except that they, they obviously everyone hid the packaging because it had a name on. 
We had a lovely lunch. <laughs> it's not a good story, but the story, <laughs> the point of the story is uh, that, that, that shepherds are people that look after sheep, that care for sheep, that lay down their own freedom, their own comfort in order to look after those that they are to raise up. Uh, and good husbandry in, in agriculture and farming is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a dying thing as we push animals for profit as much as we can. Uh, we need to resist it as Christians. We need to focus on good farming practices that look after uh, creation that the Lord has given to us. Because he has given it to us. And we have dominion over the creation that he has given to us. But um, God uses this example, a well-known example to people in the Middle East, of a shepherd shepherding a flock looking after uh, the, the flock. The flock was mixed. It's not just sheep. This flock and flocks in the Middle East would have been mixed with goats uh, and, and sheep. They would walk together and one shepherd would look after them as they would feed in the hills. And God uses this illustration. He says, you see over there, you can see on that little mountaintop over there, you can see the shepherd. He's sitting there looking, watching, taking care of his sheep. And you can see the sheep and the goats eating. God is saying, you have shepherds like that that's Twenty-two bad shepherds and bad, bad sheep. And then we're going to see God's response to the bad shepherds and the bad sheep. Bad shepherds. God starts with the bad shepherds, and He says to Ezekiel in verse one, He says, "Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel." I can go back to verse one. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, it says are there, but woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep. It's quite fun when I read this passage for Reuben this week. Reuben, you said when we got to this point, he said, yeah, shepherds are supposed to feed the sheep. They're not supposed to feed on the sheep because that's what's going on there. Shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding yourselves. You've been feeding yourselves on the sheep. No, you're supposed, it's the other way around. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you have not fed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. That's God saying, my sheep, my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Why? Because there was no shepherd amongst them. The shepherds that were amongst them were feeding off the sheep. They were not feeding the sheep. That's the point. Now, children, I've printed out some, some, uh, some lists here. You might even allow your parents to have a quick look at them. I've got, I've got one totally pink one. These ones are very rare. They're normally a sign that you're about to be much poorer than you were before because the ink has obviously run out. Then I've got, I've got one where the ink is just beginning to run out, so you can be in transition. Uh, but, but then I've got, I've got 15 beautiful ones. Beautiful ones like that. And what is it? What, what, what's on these sheets? And, and I, will, uh, I will get them handed out in a moment. If a child can come, 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 da come down and you can start handing them out. 
it says at the top, kings of Israel, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And then it starts with the united monarchy at the top, where it starts to speak uh, about, here's, a, here's more, here's more. Here's a black and white one for someone who's more black and white as well. Uh, it then talks about the united kingdom. It starts with David. Okay, it starts with Saul, that first king. God said to them, you don't, you don't want a king. If we gave you a king, you don't want a king. Kings are going to rule over you. And Saul was one of those that lorded it over them. So he's got a little symbol next to him. He's a king that's a bad king. He's got that symbol next to him, a bad crown. The next one is David. Oh, David has a great, he's got a good crown. He's got a picture like that, a good crown next to him. And then the next one is Solomon. And Solomon has a good picture. Next to him. He was a good king, the good, bad, and the ugly. But, but then the kingdom divides into two. The, Judah on the right, uh, on the left-hand side, and Israel on the right-hand side. Judah on the south, and Israel in the north. Judah, the tribe out of which Jesus came, the one on the left, uh, and, and the top one is later called the Samaritans. And for each of these kings, it gives you a symbol, good, bad, or ugly. And if you have a chance, write an email to Josh Byers and say thank you. It's a nice, it's a nice graphic. I've used it. I was just saying to the guys up there before I came out, I said... I studied theology for seven years, and when I discovered this, it was really like a crib sheet, you know. I kind of folded it up. I want to put it in my Bible. You come across a king in the Bible, and you think, hey, is this a good one or a bad one? I'm not sure. What, what's, the, what's the judgment on this guy, you know? Oh, Tibni. Tibni apparently was, he was ugly. He was ugly. That helps. It's also helpful if you want to, if you want to name children. <laughs> Perhaps not such a good, a good idea to call one of your children Ahaz. Ahaz was, was, was an ugly king. Not such a good idea to call him Jehoiakim. Not a good thing. Zedekiah. Nah. Joash is a good one. Uzziah is a good one. Jotham. We need more Jothams, I think. Anyway, so please make use of that. But what's the point of this? These are the shepherds that came ahead of, of Ezekiel's story. It's as if God is giving Ezekiel the list. He says, Ezekiel, look at this list. You see these guys? They were shepherds. They were supposed to shepherd my flock. They didn't. Instead of feeding the flock, what did they do, Reuben? They fed on the flock. That's what they did. Bad kings. Now, I can give you many examples in today's day and age of bad kings, of bad rulers, of bad shepherds. Uh, we can start very widely. We can look at the world. And later today, we will pray in our prayer time for Sudan where a dictator there has been deposed after 30 years. Bashir has been deposed, and people have suffered at his hand. He was a bad king, a bad ruler of his people. Uh, I can then go to, to the church. Say, so, well, at the church, there's been bad shepherds, and that's particularly what's in view here. Now, this week, I was at a conference, uh, and at some point, the conference speaker had to say, look, all of you that's here today at this Evangelical Ministers' Assembly would have read the news in the Telegraph over the weekend, of a minister from our own ranks that's now retired uh, against whom certain disclosures were made of spiritual abuse. And as the details of this case was relayed to us and it's out in the public domain, I wanted to dig a little hole and hide because this is someone that carries our badge. This is someone who's teaching the Bible. This is someone who's shepherding the flock in the word of the Lord. And the accusations that's come out against them, if proven true, and one of the uh, lawyers stood up, a QC stood up and said, although these cases haven't been proven yet, we are making it public because the evidence is overwhelming. 
It was sad. It was, you could feel this whole meeting of ministers from all over this country just, just slump. I came home that evening. I've been down. I've been walking the streets, dragging my feet, thinking, bad shepherds. That fed on the flock, not fed the flock. And you know what's the scary part of that? Is as I listen to these reports, as I listen to what this man who's now in his 70s have done, I think, ah, the same seed lives in me. The same seed to do the kind of things he did lives in Carl, elder in this church. The same seed that led to the things that that man did lives in Chris, who's been trained. Lives in Pete that's in Sabbath, uh, on sabbatical at the moment. The same, the shepherds the Lord has given you are sinners. And the only difference is that that seed has not been given water. And so if there's ever been a chance for you to pray for the shepherds that the Lord has appointed over you, it is now, it is today. Pray, Father, Father, please, you've, you've appointed men over us. But they are sinners like all of us, even the very best of them. This man wrote books, great books, by the way, that I will still use. <laughs> but this seed in his life was watered. And he fed on the sheep rather than feeding them. Now God doesn't just stop his indictment at the shepherds. He turns to the sheep in verses 16 to 22. He comes to the sheep. Uh, and you'll see in verses 16, I'm reading from, from the bottom of that slide. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, says verse 17, my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you've muddied with your feet? Have I messed up the slides? As for you, my flock, behold, well, that verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And here's the indictment. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between my sheep and sheep. And then comes a promise. Can you see the scene? To those hearing Ezekiel's prophecy, this was familiar. In fact, the farmer today would say to you, it is familiar. To see that if he arrives with his little pickup truck in the field, and he opens the back door, there they are. The big sheep, the male sheep, the goats, they're there, they're eating first. And as the little ones push in, they push them away, they push them away, they push them away. And they eat, and they eat, and they eat until they've had their fill. And the shepherd has to say, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, go away, go away. And he shoos them away as he gets to a feeding trough that would limit the big ones and the small ones so that they can all have access in various stages so that they can all eat. They were using their weight as an advantage against those that were smaller, that were weaker. So what does this look like? What does this look like today? 
What does this look like in Canada Water Church? Now, <clears throat> I did think the best question to ask at this point is, is what is it that the shepherds and the sheep have in common? What is it that binds them together in their shared humanity, the shepherds and the sheep? And it's the same thing. It is, it is selfishness. The shepherds using the sheep for selfish gain and the sheep trampling on the weak for selfish gain. It is, it is this. Thinking the way it should work is your life for mine. Your life for mine. Uh, I'm first. My needs come first. What I want is, is more important than what we want. My needs are more important than our needs. My needs and what I want, my particular distinctives, the things that I long for, I want music like this, I want communion like this, I want a venue like this, I want everything like this, like this. My needs right in the center instead of our needs. As a whole community, both young and old, our needs rather than my needs. This, by the way, is what it means to swim up the stream as we had it the weekend away. Our speaker told us that we're like salmon that's swimming upstream the whole week. And on a Sunday, we get to hide behind a little rock to rest. That's what Sundays are all about. But swimming upstream is swimming upstream when we are living for corporate values, for, for one another in a culture that is we live for yourself. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. This is a world where you fight for yourself in every point of time. Not so with you, says the Lord Jesus. Not so with your leaders. Not so with one another. This is the place where us, we, are more important than you. That's a mindset change. A mindset change that if we manage to make it, it will be amazing because we'll be living it against our culture. But a mindset change that they had to make in the Old Testament, a mindset change they had to make in Jesus' time. Why do you think Peter, that shepherd of the flock later on, why did he deny Jesus when he was taken off to be crucified? And said, oh, you're one of his. He said, no, I'm not. What's he doing there? He's saying, not my life for his. No, his life for mine. He's saying, no, no, self-preservation. I've got to look after myself. That's, that's a mindset change. What is Jesus saying to the rich young ruler? I sat down with someone this week. We looked at it. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he, he says, I've fulfilled all the commandments, but he only quotes half the law. He quotes the law where it's all about money and possessions and so on. He doesn't quote the first bit where it's about loving God. Why? Because he doesn't recognize Jesus, the incarnate God, right in front of him. He is so consumed with his possessions that he might lose if he starts following Jesus that he's too sad to see that the creator of the universe is standing right in front of him, and that's who he misses out on. Because... He's so consumed with himself. He so revolves around himself that he doesn't recognize that the son has come into his presence. And the son. It blinds us. Selfishness blinds all of us. And, and here, is the, here is the indictment on my heart as your pastor. Because there is a connection between the way that the sheep are and the way that the shepherds are. Not just here, but also in the New Testament. In many ways, some of the church fathers would say that, that, that your holiness will not outgrow the holiness of your pastor and the church leadership. That the most pressing need for you is my holiness, is my commitment, my love, my devotion to Jesus. 
you see that because these shepherds are self-centered, the sheep become self-centered. Just pray. Pray for me. Pray for ourselves. May God have mercy on us and protect us from this. Now, what's God's response to all of this? God's response is in verses 7 to 10. You hear what it says, how God responds to the shepherds first. He says in verse 10, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherd have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you. I'm against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I'll rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. There's two things that's at play here. What's God's response? God's response is this, justice. You have not fed them. I will take them away from you and I will go and feed them. Justice. I'll take them away from you. And compassion. Compassion. God has come. I will rescue them. I will rescue them. I will care for them. If you won't care for them, I will care for them. That's what God says. And, and that's what this is all about. This is a story of all these kings, of God saying, you have not cared for my flock. You have not been just to my flock. And therefore, I will be just and I will have compassion in the last king that's not on this list. Justice and compassion. He comes to rescue them. What's his response to the sheep? That's in verse 20 to 22. These self-centered sheep, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge. That's what he will do. Justice. He will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them. Verse 22, there's the compassion. I will rescue my flock. Justice and compassion. God is the one that says, I will have justice and compassion for my sheep, but there's a problem. If God comes to judge the shepherds, there's no shepherds left, is there? The shepherds are gone. And if God comes to judge the flock, the flock becomes very small, very little, very few of them are left. What's going to happen here? In fact, the last king on this list, you can read the story. It's in 2 Kings 24 of Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. He's blinded. His eyes are poked out and he's taken away into captivity. No shepherds left. What's going to happen? What's God's response to the bad shepherds and the bad sheep? Very few sheep left and no, no shepherds at all. Well, God's response is this. He simply does what he says he will do. That's all. He just does what he said. So what does he say? Let's look at verse 11. See what he says. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. That's God's response. If, if you want to get the summary of today's sermon, God said, I, I will search for my sheep. My sheep. I will seek them out. Carries on to say, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their land. 
I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. That's what God says. My point is God will do what he said he will do. He said, I will be the shepherd to my sheep. Okay, well, some of you know your Bibles. You think, oh, Jesus makes mention of that. But here's a verse that now uh, makes things a little bit more tricky, as they would say. Look at verse 23 and 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, at the time that Zedekiah is speaking, David is long since dead. How does this work? Is God about to resurrect David? And anyway, God has just said he will be their shepherd. Now he says David will be their shepherd. Who's going to be the shepherd then? Is it David? Is it God? What's going on here? God says, I will be their shepherd. And he says, the son of David will be their shepherd. And both of these statements are true. And this is part of God's response to the bad shepherds and the bad flock. His response is, I will be their shepherd. Son of David will be their shepherd. So, children, can you remember who was the first to hear, think Christmas, Jonah. This is the moment you think Christmas. You think carol service. And you think a passage we often read. It's the middle of the night. And there's some guy sleeping. And then there's some angels that arrive. And they start singing. Who are they singing to, children? I couldn't quite hear that. I, I heard some words from there, some words over here. Jonah? He's right, he's right. We've got another one there. We've got another one there. We've got shepherds. This is amazing. The first two year that Mary is going to have a baby. Oh, next question, trick question. What's his name going to be? Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God said, I will be your shepherd. And then Mary gets pregnant through a baby that has been conceived in her by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when his birth is announced, the first people to hear it are shepherds. Shepherds are the first to hear it. Yeah, finally, is God the shepherd in the flesh, in Jesus, born where? Place that flocks would know well. Manger. Place where they go and sleep and eat. Here is God. Here is the shepherd. Here is the true flock of Israel in the Son, Jesus Christ. And this Son, Jesus Christ, well, he would grow up. He would grow up and he would become well known as a rabbi teaching people God's word. He would teach people and people would be confounded by him. They think, this boy, isn't he Joseph's son? Carpenter's son? What's going on with this boy? Listen to him. He's saying all kinds of strange things. Now, I'm going to invite you, if you've got the Bible there, let's turn to John 10. I'm going to close with John 10. I'll make a few other 
references on the way there, but John 10. It looks like page 896. <coughs> and in John 10, uh, in verse 11, we hear Jesus say these words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's just think about that statement. Let's take it one word at a time. I am. Who is the I am? Yahweh. That's the name for Yahweh, is I am. That's God's covenant name. The I am is the good shepherd. We've heard about bad shepherds, haven't we? Those are the ones that feed on the sheep. Uh, on the sheep. Uh, those are the ones that says, not, your, not my life for yours, but your life for mine. Here is the good shepherd, the one that says, my life for yours. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down, lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus will later on explain how he lays down his life. He literally does this when you come back from sports practice or you've come back from a hot day outside and you just take your shirt off and you just lay it down. You just willfully t you put it down. Jesus laid down deliberately, intentionally. Pilate thought he was crucifying Jesus. And, and, the, and the Jews thought they were selling out Jesus. And Judas Iscariot was thinking, I'm bringing an end to this, to this show of Jesus. And everyone's thinking, we're doing it. We're in charge. And then Jesus, as he stands in front of Pilate, says, you, have, you, you only do what authority you've been given to do. None of what you're doing at the moment, you're doing out of your own will. I have arranged all of these affairs. Why? Because I came to lay down my life. Willfully. He would say it at the end of chapter 10 very clearly. That is what he does. Willfully. Now, why? This is the most important question of the sermon. Why did he lay down his life? Can you see the verse? 11. For the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. Lays down his life. Why? for the sheep. As I made my, uh, my notes on the sermon, what I often do is I print out the text like this and I just scribble on it and I just scribble and I would pray and I would pray and I would write down on it and I would carry on working, I would read a commentary or I'd listen to a sermon, something would try, I'd just write it where it fits. I have counted the amount of times I've written, God cares, God cares, God cares, God cares, God cares for you. God loves me and he feeds his lambs. God cares. I lay down my life for the sheep. God cares. This whole passage of Ezekiel 34 is a testament of God's care for us, his people. God's care. So let me apply some of this for you now. You could be in this church this morning and you could say, oh, it's, I like coming to Canterbury. I like the music, it's nice coffee, a great venue, very accessible, it's great. The leadership's a bit ropey. In fact, I'd be happy if you said that, you'd be honest. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I don't care for you the way that Jesus cares for you. Not even that much. I care for you, but in comparison to Jesus, 
And, and what Ezekiel 34 says is, in spite of a lack of good leaders, of good shepherds, I care for you. That's what he's saying. If you walk out of church on Sunday and say, well, it's great, it's great. I just wish I spent, you know, really some hands-on pastoral care for this particular issue that I'm fighting day in and day out. This is, I, I, he should have seen it. He should notice that I'm struggling over here. God cares for you more than a human being will ever care for you. In spite of bad leadership. Ezekiel 34 says, God cares, God cares, God cares. God cares for you. God cares enough for you that he laid down his life for you. God cares for you. God cares for you. And that, by the way, is not a get-out-of-jail card for the leaders of church because the Lord says, care for my flock. What does he say to Peter? Peter betrayed the flock. It's the first thing Jesus says to him when he says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know I do. Feed my lambs. That's what Jesus says. Feed my lambs. You might be a child here today. You think, well, you might be a grown child. You say, my parents messed me up. They made a real mess of me. Then They weren't good parents for this reason or for that reason. You might say, the shepherds that God has given to me for the first 16, 17, 18 years of my life were not good. Who cared for you when they didn't? Ezekiel 34 says, God cared for you. He cared for you at every point of that journey. He cared for you. He's the one that cares, that cares, that cares, in spite of the bad parents, perhaps, that you've had. By the way, it's not a get-out-of-jail card for parents. Because the Bible says, bring your children up in the fear and the discipline of the Lord. That's no excuse to not be a good parent, to not shepherd your children well. But who cared? God cared. Cared enough to become a man to die on the cross, to lay down his life for his sheep. Parents can hear those words that Jesus speak to Peter. Feed my lambs. Feed them. Feed them. We have to apply this text. We have to say, we cannot use an excuse, even the deepest excuse of them all, that God was not present when I endured that or that suffering, that trauma, that awful event in my life. God did not care. And that is my excuse why I will stay cold, why I will stay bitter, while I stay withdrawn from God, from his people, from his leaders that he's appointed over me, because I'm angry. Because he did not care. He cared. He cared enough to die for you. That's the point of Ezekiel 34. That's the point of Jesus' birth. That's the point of the shepherd's announcement that God is with us in Emmanuel. God cares cared enough to die for you. As we sit for a moment, can I challenge you to repent? I challenge you to repent of your false excuses to yourself not caring. I won't care because he doesn't care. I don't care because they didn't care. I don't care because no one cares. Can you repent of that and say, I do not believe the fundamental truth that stands right in the heart of the whole cosmos, and that is that the master of the universe became a man, became a baby, born in a manger that eventually led to the cross where he willfully laid down his life. Why? Because he cared. He cared for me. Laid down his life for who? For the sheep. 
for you? Will you repent of your lack of trust in God's love and care for you? Will you join me in that, just doing that now quietly as we even prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper? Let's quietly pray. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending the good shepherd. Lord Jesus, we thank you for agreeing to be sent as the good shepherd. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are constantly enabling Jesus for his ministry whilst on earth to willfully lay down his life for the sheep. We ask that you, God of love, will flood us with your love, will equip us, Holy Spirit, in the same way that you've equipped the Son, to love one another in such a way? Would you allow us to think not my life for yours, not your life for mine, but my life for yours? Would you give us a new, a new mindset? We pray, give us a new mindset, a completely different way of thinking. Give us a new framework of thinking where we are not in the middle and that we will not raise children who are in the middle, and that we will not cultivate friendships where we are individuals are in the middle, but that we will be a counterculture in the world that we live in, where we will live like the shepherd that laid down his life, that we will put others ahead of ourselves. We will let others feed and drink water, and we will come afterwards and eat the scraps and drink the muddied water. But we're thankful that we've been able to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, emulate Jesus in the way that he laid down his life. Father, we pray that as a church, we will show that humility in the little things, in the small things. We would show it when we eat together as a church. We would show it when we drink together as a church. We would show it when we worship together as a church. We will show it when we walk together as a church, as we play together as a church, we will, we will look after one another. We will look after the little ones. We will look after the weak and the needy. We will put our needs way off. And we will not be afraid to be weak and needy. We will not be afraid to say that I need help just now. I'm not doing okay. I need someone to come alongside me. Please, Father, give us this, this other-centeredness in our church so that the love of Christ can shine brightly in our midst. 
Father, we pray that even the children, as they listen to the sermon, they would be the next generation that would so radically live against this culture of individualism, of me first, that it would be a counterweight in our world, that it would shape this city, shape this church, shape Canada Water into a place of radical self-giving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to uh, sing together. Of course, you know we're going to sing this.